I realized that there is an, a target audience of crypto native people. So people who have been in crypto for a long time, who may understand things a little, little bit better than new people. So I figured, okay, if I'm going to make a piece of art, that's my target audience. It's not the friends I go to school with, you know, they, they don't probably have, they don't even care. They might not have any idea. So at first, once I had the target audience, I woke up one morning and I was still in my finishing up my last semester in college at this point. And I just like ran a program on my computer for something else unrelated and ASCII art popped up as most programs that are like on a terminal. Like, I don't know if you've seen like, like hackers and they're like typing away and it looks like gibberish and you don't understand what's going on. Yeah, so usually, yeah, exactly. So when a lot of programs that are built in a terminal or they call them command line tools, they often like start off by, you know, printing out like a cute little picture of some logo that's in ASCII or it's built up of the uh, numbers, letters, you know, slashes, question marks, et cetera. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is it. Like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. It just, it just hit. The boys got PhDs when it comes to talking about NFTs. And that's nifty. That's nifty. They come to this place to talk about the crypto space And that's nifty, that's nifty, that's nifty Your hosts for tonight's podcast are Tyler, Larry, and Slime Sunday Damn, that's nifty You gonna hit him with a welcome? I guess welcome. Welcome. How do you want to open it? Welcome So that's nifty that's how, it, that's how it starts First of all, disclaimer recording this on thursday so if something happens on the slow days of friday saturday sunday this weekend we're not your source for up to date <laughs> no football has started there are things that are happening on the weekends definitely gonna have to start recording earlier in the week and you, how you see time you also shouldn't be getting your news from us oh no we're no, just no. giving our take on what the fuck's going on so yes pretty much as in we just wrote down things off the top of our head right before we started turning these on so yeah, but was stick around for after because we have an interview with Zor, Michael Blau, and that should be a good one. Slime Sunday, return to the pod for a little interview, sit down. That's, you did not lie. Those are all, those are all true statements. And this is where the truth ends. Just <laughs> pure speculation. <laughs> where do you want to start? We do um, have a list. Uh, my, my mm, artifacts again. Can't Ooh. help it. Can't help it. Too that, much lag. There was a last second bid. That was like a classic. It was it was like finally a nice bid war. I love the Coldy method. Oh, it's, it's so, so extended over multiple days. You get time to think about it. Sick. Great number to end on too. 19.6? Yeah. Yeah. 19.6. Congrats to the winner. That's a sick piece. Sylvain looks good. Yep. On the wall, I would imagine. Somewhere. It'll look good. In the trash, probably. In the metaverse. Yeah. Bill? The king of hype. Cool. Greatest promo video out there, Bill Ellis smacking it on him with a collector's only drop. When is it, Larry? September 20th. So in a little bit, like a week and a half, maybe next, not this Monday, but the next Monday, it's going to be fire. He showed the uh, the trailer for that. It looks beautiful. It sounds like there's a physical for every NFT. Mm-hmm. Nuts. And then there's different tiers or whatever. Join his Discord to see like how those are being distributed and like what you can 
get into and stuff. Yeah, if we know Bill, we know we know it's nothing half-assed. So uh, no, did you see him sitting in that room, just hand signing all those with a black glove on, looking like a G. <laughs> I know, I know. Like while I'm I'm watching it, like I, there it's like dramatic for the shot, but I can't help but think he's just like when everyone leaves, he's like, all right, guys, I'm just gonna keep signing these, keep the lights like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> bring the lock of Wulin back. <laughs> yeah. What about defaced. Defaced. Here we go with another. Uh, <laughs> Name debacle. Is it defaced or defaced? I go defaced, but it sounded kind of like you made up like a Spanish phrase almost there. Defaced. <laughs> um, yeah, defaced and friends. I was just saying, like, I, I, I caught that tweet within the hour of him announcing it um, or just saying, like, you know, no, um, no mechanics, no something, just art, just friends. Um, and I didn't even think twice. And then they dropped and they've been exploding. A hundred of them, right? Yeah. And they're all so sick. I cool. love the art. Yeah, that's it. That's all it's there for. It's um, cool little character. Self-drop. Like, yeah, I like the self-drop was cool. That's how it's a good way to avoid a gas war, especially there, when there's a hundred. Yeah, but like, there was the bot problem, which like you're never gonna not get the bots, I feel like. That's yeah, tough. I know, I know. It was just something that he apparently I saw that he had to address and it'll be to the point where like you won't have to address that shit at, at, eventually, but People know. still it get it at the price it's going to be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're just not going to get lucky with a 0.1 ETH drop. Like, You'll have to buy it on secondary for what you think it's worth and you know, yeah. keep moving on with your life. That's what we did with GVOLs. Like, we weren't going to get those on primary. No. And we bought them when the floor was actually much higher than it is now. I think it's really settling out and like it's getting into the right hands at this point. Some of the larger collectors are shaking loose some of the ones they didn't want because they weren't the rarest ones. So. Yeah. And it's funny start how you see up. this stuff playing out now. It's like, how long has the profile pick game been a thing? Like, Oh, this came in and crushed. Uh, but, like, think about it. Like, just take the last eight months. How often? Like, you don't have enough, like, data to, like, like see what these trends are and, like, see how, how, like, these numbers will settle and, like, pick up on, like, when you should expect a spike or, like, you it's know, there's so many intangible things. Yeah. yeah. And, but I'm just saying right now, thinking about, like, okay, it's a price settle. Like, when I bought a fucking ape, I didn't think, like, okay, I'm not, like, staring at offers, you know? Yeah. Um, you just buy one. Yeah. You got to right now. But that's what it feels like with these again, too. Yeah. G-Vols are just fucking shit. What else do we have? Cooking I saw there? that um, 888 released some sort of, like, Genesis thing on OpenSea that gets people in, like, the Friends of 888 Club. It's, like, insider group that gets access to drops or something. It looked pretty affordable. I wanted to jump on it, but... Coinbase is being an absolute bitch right now. I know. And I'm pinching my pennies now. I thought I was ETH rich and I just kept spending all my ETH. Not mad about it. But now I'm like, I can't be spending any more of my ETH. You stay a little liquid. You never know what's coming around the corner. Especially, yeah. I mean, back to too much lag. Phase two is coming. It's not on Nifty Gateway. So that's going to be an ETH purchase. Huh. Really? Yeah. Confirm. Well, last time we talked to them, yeah, I'm pretty sure what they have planned for the contract is not. Um, jive with what Nifty Gateway can yeah, do but, right now. but can't Nifty Gateway apparently jive with everything now? And pull it back. At, well, yeah, that's true. But that was like a good actual transition into Nifty's new mechanic, which like, I mean, dude, yeah, you can buy stuff with a credit card. And, and there's no gas, apparently? Yeah, but the, there's gas to move it in there. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's gas. Well, I have to pay to put it in there. Yeah, you showed me a, it was like $170 was, was to like put it 
uh, into Nifty Gateway? Yeah. So after the $170 that you spend to put it into Nifty Gateway and then factor in the commission fee or whatever the fuck they take out of whatever your sale is, um, not counting the art fee or the, right. the, the, the artist commission, however you want to put it, it's going to cost you anywhere from, I don't know, how much? Depends on what you sell your shit for. Yeah. So take yeah. take the robots, for example. The floor was like around a thousand bucks. I just did some quick fucking napkin math. And when I saw what gas was would have cost and what the uh, return would have been after fees, like, well, this price on OpenSea so is yeah. the same exact thing here because I, I, it's cool. It's just like, it's just like what Apple does to me. Like when I see an Apple product that or that's promoted or put out there, I'm just like, it's like, oh, check out these colors or like we have, <laughs> we don't have a headphone jack anymore. And like, it's just like, that's just cosmetic. All yeah. the shit you're doing is just face value. So, I mean, like, yeah, it's cool. You can see other stuff and move them around. Those things, those other things are so fucking ugly. I couldn't look at them. Which the, the robots? Oh, the creatures? Oh, I didn't look at them. I I feel bad now that I just called their project ugly, but you like I'm what not you sorry. like. <laughs> <laughs> My only uh, qualm with Nifty Gateway is the fact that you need to have like certain things in your wallet on your profile in order to like get into the collector stuff, like. I wish they could like read your wallet so you could keep it in cold storage like we're planning on doing mm-hmm. one day. Um, you know, if all my NFTs are in on my ledger, I don't want to have to keep moving and paying to like put them back in my profile to like get yeah. other stuff. Like we can figure this out. I feel like we're we're getting there. Yeah. They're getting there. I did buy a robot though. Bought a robot. I liked it. Nice. Yeah. Like point one eighty. But that was the one it was like, all right. That's the last one it's for a while. Last one for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to get your last fix. Yeah. Oh my god. The only thing else I have on here is the board ape sale. That was fat. Yeah. Twenty four million dollars. Twenty four four some came to about two hundred forty k and eight. Oof. Nice. I wish I was you now, who wasn't <laughs> even in at all. <laughs> but you made money. You made like a good amount. Yeah, I know. I hit Dunzel with a little chirp too when I saw fucking creation of evolve get get sold on super rare i also found it funny because i went back and i listened to the podcast with 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 kid before he was on super and now i watch his stuff sell on super and i'm just like yeah it's amazing it is it is but that actually going to 33 is huge um it is but but to dunzel i mean uh, who knows if you fucking would be listening but if you only know i'm with you with the (laughs) In the weak ass paper hand club, it so, happens to us all. So, but do you hear the kid cut him a slice of that? Had to. I'm yeah. sure they had something more. That was but it's nice. also like, yeah, you, you do the right thing. You want it to the sell theater. for the right price. Yeah, it's for the theater. Like it's part of it's part of the act. It's I like, like w- the lore. Yeah, give yeah. Me, give me that shit. Love it. Like who doesn't need more drama in their life? I say it's WWE. The dude literally fucking has a belt over his shoulder <laughs> and wears a mask. So yeah. <laughs> You couldn't be any more blatant about it. That's amazing. Yeah, it's cutting the promo. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about the apes and the dogs. Dogs sold for like one point something, but there was a, a shit ton of dogs. Oh, so were the apes uh, all just random or were they like high-end No, it's from the lab, I think. Um, I think it was relatively random. I don't know shit. I don't know anything about anything, but like my assumption would just be that they're going around and had been scooping apes for a long time. Who made the sale? Like who was the owner? The of lab. 
Who's the lab? Yuga Labs. They were the ones that been scooping apes pretty much. Creators of the Board Ape Yacht Club. Oh, they've been oh, so they've been getting their own apes. My back. my yes. theory is that they've just been going around scooping their own ape. I want to say just like a bot system set up where they just go around. And oh, they would have the data and know like that's below price. Yeah. Scoop it. Yeah. yeah, and hold those and then do the the auction. It's pretty Fun. smart. If we had the technology, we could easily build shit like that. It would just alert you when like something is below its market value. Well, good for them. Here's the interview with Michael Blau, aka XOR. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be Zor. I don't know. We'll find out shortly. Hey, how's it going? What's dude. up, dude? How you doing? Good. You? Good, man. So, so Mike. We, Mike. Oh, yeah. Are we allowed to reveal your real name, or is it just? Are we just gonna keep it at Xor? <laughs> uh, we could sound like maybe Blau's brother. We could re- reveal my name. I don't, are you guys recording this now? Or are you gonna edit it after? We'll edit it out. I just hit record super early because I'm just okay, afraid cool. that I'm not gonna. But yeah, yeah. I, you, you can say my name. Although what I will say is, is I don't know how. So like, I, I even though my alias is XOR, like I don't care if people know that I am Michael. I like to keep them separate. So it would actually, I think like there's a benefit to remaining as anonymous as possible for as long as possible. I think there's like, I think that's, you know, like part of Pac's success is like that mystique behind him, you know, like nobody knows exactly who he is. Like, I, I kind of wish I, I say this a lot. I wish I stayed anonymous. <laughs> I mean, it is on my website. So That's what I was just going to say, dude, I was, I was scanning your website and uh, all right, well, just yeah. it out there. You might have to take it off. This- <laughs> I, think, I, think the, I think the reason why we did it we, when we first, when I was talking to my brother, we felt that if we, if it was anonymous and then later on it came out who I was, it'd be kind of like, uh, it wouldn't look great for Justin. Cause it'd be like, ah, oh, he's hiding a secret. And, Cause he like shares my stuff and then be like, oh, he's promoting his little brother. That's not cool. You know? Yeah. So I think we figured that the safer bet was like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just tell him. It's fine. That's a good point. Yeah. I didn't think of that. All right. So we won't take any of that out. We'll just leave it as is. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. So uh, I think Tyler linked up with you, right? And I was just telling Mike, Tyler's upstairs finishing up a, uh, a, de- a new software demo for work, but you got connected with him through some middleman. I'm not sure who it was, but. I think maybe Discord. I think yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep yeah. in the Discord. Someone from my Discord channel uh, connected the two of us. Uh, so it was funny. I was just telling him, like, dude, I can't even open the app because I can't look at that many groups. I just <laughs> it gives me anxiety. Yeah. Like, it's a where lot. am I going? It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I've I've recently like just started deleting Discord channels, and like the only one that I find myself looking at is or was looking at for a while was that Rarity Sniper. Yeah. You, ever, you guys ever use that? Yeah. yeah. I've heard of that. So it's like before all the rarities come out on the collectibles, like you can go in there and input your input your um, your token number and it will tell you like where it falls on the rarity. Okay, cool. But yeah, yeah, I was using that for a while. Other than that, man, I don't use shit. <laughs> Discord's like dead to me. It's tough. How long have you been running your Discord? I've I did it like since my last drop. So I think my last drop was around like the end of May. Yeah. So not so long. Not so long. I was buzzing through your stuff earlier and I was like, because I tried to do one of those scavenger hunts for David Pollitt with his, with his, um, those physical paintings. And I tried flipping through your scavenger hunt and I was like, dude, this is way too deep for me. But <laughs> it's fucking sick. And I was just, Sorry. I wanted to ask, was it, was it all, did you have these three mapped out when you first kind of jumped in with this drop back in April? 
So like, you mean like the first scavenger hunt? Yeah. Yeah. So like I knew it kind of like pieced together over time. Like I knew I, st- I actually started with the end idea, which was that I wanted to take an NFT, put it at some address and then take the seed phrase behind that address and scatter that around in order to make it, make it like the scavenger hunt for the words. So I knew that as the end goal. And I had to like kind of walk my way back, you know, through how I'm going to do it. Because I didn't want to make it too challenging where no one could solve it. But I didn't want to make it too easy where people could get it in a second. So I, it was it was the first puzzle I ever created in my life. So it was a challenge. But uh, it turned out okay, uh, I think. Someone yeah. got it in 12 hours. That's what I was going to say. I, I went to go look at the one of one. I'm like, dude, has anyone even got this yet? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, you open right. shit up to the internet, like no matter how hard you make something, somebody is going to figure it out like before everybody else. And it's usually that one person that does it. And like, you know, like so quick, you're like, how the fuck did you get that? There's just always that one dude. Well, sort of like, I guess, I don't know if this is fair of me, but the way that I sort of make any of my art or even the puzzles as well, is I sort of take the perspective of I'm, I'm new to crypto and I have a background in computer science and, and coding. So when I learn about new crypto concepts, I kind of like dive like super deep, like to really understand like what's going on at a protocol level. So all the, every piece of art that I have, including the, the puzzles themselves are extensions of what I learned throughout that process. So I, so the reason why I say it's, I could be unfair is because I guess anyone who has done the same. So anyone who's a protocol developer or knows Ethereum from a more technical level will definitely have an advantage. Um, I think that's okay. I'm okay with that, I think. Uh, but it definitely, what, what, I've, what I've found is that after, after the puzzles are done and I, re- and I release, and I guess if, if, I don't know how clear, you know, people who are watching this are familiar with it, but like we could also walk through the puzzles. But when I release the puzzles at the end and people like read the solutions, oftentimes people come back to me and they're like, oh, wow, like, I didn't know. I didn't know that this was a part of a theory. And this is really cool. Like, thanks for teaching me something, you know? So I think that's kind of fun. Dude, yeah, yeah you, you were teaching me something. I, I was I was buzzing through kind of just because I got I was the same way crypto native now because I had to figure out how to buy the art on chain. So like like dude, like Mike is my source of 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 stupid questions. And I because I just assume he asked them before. So like your background tied in, what was the like uh when did you kind of conceptualize like this is how I wanna or how I can, you know tie nfts into some art form because it seems pretty natural with your background and your skill set so yeah sure so of course you know i got into it through my brother he he, in our family at least he was like the first person in crypto and nfts and as me as the little brother i'm looking at it looking at him as a role model of course and i'm like wow this is cool i want to do that so i struggled a lot with figuring out what i was going to do because i'm not an artist like I'm not a graphic designer per se. I, I, I'm not good with Photoshop. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't paint or I don't do any of that sort of stuff. I'm a coder. So I didn't really know what would be cool. Like what, what, what kind of art would be interesting. But a trend that I found was that at the time when that was all like the beginning of this NFT phase and, and my brother had his drop with, with, with Uslan Sunday and, and all that kind of stuff. I realized that there was an, a target audience of crypto native people. So people who have been in crypto for a long time who may understand things a little, little bit better than new people. So I figured, okay, if I'm going to make a piece of art, that's my target audience. It's not the p- friends I go to school with. You know, they they don't probably have, they don't even care. They might not have any idea. So at first, once I had the target audience, I woke up one morning 
and I was still in my finishing up my last semester in college at this point. And I just like ran a program on my computer for something else unrelated and ASCII art popped up as most programs that are like on a terminal. Like, I don't know if you've seen like, like hackers when they're like typing away and it looks like gibberish and you don't understand what's going on. Yeah, so usually, yeah, exactly. So when a lot of programs that are built in a terminal or they call them command line tools, they often like start off by, you know, printing out like a cute little picture of some logo that's an ASCII or it's built up of the uh, numbers, letters, you know, slashes, question marks, et cetera. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is it. Like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. It just, it just hit at that point. So then I just started going online and just using like out of the box ASCII generators, like just basically you drag and drop an image. It's, it converts it into one of those types of images. And I'm like, this is cool, but it's not cool. And like, I feel like I need more control over what like characters are composed of the image. So I ended up coding up my own ASCII generator for my own images that I would feed into it. And then I think it was actually my brother-in-law who was like, no, what if you put live blockchain data inside of it? I'm like, that's interesting. I, I don't even know what that would be. And here's the funny story. So this is, I'm, I kind of go on a tangent here, but my brother came over, he sat next to me at my computer. I said, as I, as I Justin, I call him Justin, everyone calls him Blau. So I'm just gonna, so Blau or my brother, Justin, he was like, Michael, you know, if you're gonna do this, you gotta use cool pictures. So here, uh, go on Google and like, look up a tree. I'm like, okay, I'll, I looked up a tree and I downloaded the first image I could find. I converted it into this numbers, letters, characters, image. And he was like, oh, that's sick. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But immediately I was like, hold on, blockchains are built of Merkle trees. That's like the, the core data structure behind every block. So I'm like, this makes so much sense. So if I were to put live blockchain data in this, well, let's just create a visual representation of a Merkle tree, which basically what, what, what that means is that the roots of the tree is full of like everybody's transactions. Like if you look at a block, like on Etherscan, you can see like the list of all the transactions. That's like essentially what's in the roots of the tree. And all of those transactions in a sort of complicated way, but as a summary, they all kind of get like jumbled up together, put into a blender and spits out this little like few characters called a hash, which everyone knows in crypto, it's thrown around often. And that's the root of the tree. So it's basically all these little things bundled together, mushed up in a blender, and it spits out this like hexadecimal hash that's the root. So basically what I did is I took this image of a tree, I put in all this blockchain data that was real, it was actual blockchain data, and that was Merkle tree, which was my, which was my first piece. And, I, and that was the beginning. That was like this, it clicked. I was like, this is exactly, it, it appeals to crypto native people, right? So anyone who knows what a Merkle tree is, is going to get it. But at the same time, it's also a really cool way to like teach people what's going on under the hood. So in a long sort of way, I hope I answered the question, you know, that's sort of how it all started. Was it just sort of like pieces just sort of fell together? Yeah, I'm yeah, assuming. I've been, a, I've been like a huge ASCII fan for a while. It was actually kind of like one of the first things I thought about to like do in the crypto space just because of like that code element. But I, I feel like at some point I'm going to explore it more, like, or at least try and find a way to feed like video footage into an ASCII generator and like turn like, I don't know. I've definitely like, I've looked at ASCII art a ton and there's tons of resources on the internet. Like I've always wanted to do like something big with it. It's crazy to see what you've come up with. Super interesting shit. Thank you. Well, yeah. what's, it, what's cool about ASCII is it's like, it's actually kind of, it's actually fairly simple the way it, like it actually works under the hood is you just take a picture, a pixel of an image 
and you turn it into a number between zero and 255, which is how most you know RGB pixels are structured anyways, and you just have some sort of mapping somewhere that relates some pixel value to some character, and then you just replace them all. And with videos, it, it works the exact same way. So when you like, you know, chop up, chop up a video into like millions of frames and you feed each one of these frames into this generator and then stitch them all back together at the end, it, it's actually, it works the same way as an image. It's the same exact principle. Yeah, dude, it's sick. I love, it's it's similar to like when we did the, the all the pixel sorting stuff for Justin, it, it, it operates similarly where you like, depending on like the color value of the image, or the individual pixel it stretches it you know like sort like sorts the pixel and stretches it based on that value i wonder like there's probably other shit crazy shit you can do with code too like maybe you haven't even tried to explore yet are you like thinking of anything else you you might mess with next or so so yeah actually so you know one of the cool things about the ascii stuff is and actually i already did, did explore this a little bit is that it actually how do you, I guess, how do you, how do you put it? So there's a trend, let's, let's back up. So right now in the NFT space, there, there's a trend of creating artwork that's completely on chain. And by that, it means that one, all the metadata is stored in the contract, not on IPFS, not on Arweave. And two, the image itself is also stored. But the problem is you, you, you can't really store like a picture of a face because it's too detailed, right? So oftentimes it's these SVG images that are, you know, the SVG um, templates are what's stored on contract. And then they're generated on OpenSea or at function call to, to the viewer. And this, I mean, that's exactly how loot works. And uh, I know Pac, Pac, did, Pac did that as well for, I think, his fade piece. So what's cool about that is it's fundamentally images based on text. So it is the perfect avenue for ASCII art. To, to make ASCII art fully on chain. So something that I've been working on recently is to create these, you know, basically taking my ASCII generator that I have written in Python right now and almost like putting it into solidity, into the contract. So now, like right now, all, all my artwork is stored off chain on IPFS and it's like a standard ERC721 structure, but I'm trying to change that a little bit. So now I could actually host these images on chain completely. And when you do that, you could have these really interesting features, one of which is the art can change based on who owns it. And I know a lot of people have, you know, played with that um, a bit, but the way I'm thinking it, of it is, is like this. So my brother, when he did his um, melted faces or burned faces, you know, everyone burned a face. And in return, they were like entered into a raffle to win glass, which I know Slime Sunday you, you helped with. And, but in return as like a, hey, thanks for participating, I took that face's image and I made like just an ASCII version of it. And I returned it to almost like as an airdrop to everyone who burned. But the way that I did it was inside the ASCII art contained all the addresses as like a live record of the people who burned. So into eternity now, there is a, a visual record of everyone who burned the piece. But if you now put this ASCII generator, sorry, this is getting really complicated. If you put this ASCII generator generator now inside the contract, you could have this really cool thing where you could have the addresses of the people who own it in the art. And every time this art trades, so will the art so that it's it's this living and breathing record of ownership for who owns the art. And, and all, all it's doing is I'm just replacing pieces of the image with the addresses of owners. Yeah. So that's been like a project that I'm working on now from a code perspective. 
And even like, if you go back to your first piece, which was Merkle tree, I suspect that that was kind of like a snapshot, right. In time of yeah. transactions that happen, but like now yes. you could technically have a version that is continuously updating or like always referencing, you know, in real time. I don't know if that's possible, but that, you know what I mean? Correct. Well, so, so you could, so here's, it's, it's a really interesting technical problem because from a perspective of on chain, like if it was completely on chain, that could be sort of challenging. Um, however, that being said, you know, one of the cool secrets about IPFS that maybe people don't re realize is that it doesn't just host files. It can also host, you know, HTML files or websites. So if you point your artwork to an image that resolves to a living and breathing website, which does create live generated data and a live feed on demand, you could actually, you could simulate that same functionality. So you could actually have there be a live feed on IPFS. It's just, it, it, which is still cool. It's just that it, it won't be completely on chain, but it's, it's totally possible. And it is something that I've, that I've, that I've played with um, as well. Yeah. There's, there's tons of shit you can do. I don't know if you, have you heard about Arweave at all? It seems like that's kind of, yeah, like I don't really understand what it is, but it seems like all the hype of where people are like storing images now. Yeah, um, it makes sense uh, because Arweave is like permanent, whereas yeah. IPFS like really isn't. Like it is, but it, it really isn't because with Arweave, just like to give you the, the, the difference, Arweave is like when you upload an image to Arweave, you have to pay in the Arweave token. So you're essentially incentivizing a miner on the network to store that artwork into the future. Whereas IPFS is free to upload. And then there's Filecoin, which is like this other, you know, add-on to IPFS to kind of simulate what Arweave is doing. So to incentivize people to store things forever. But in its current model, if I upload something to IPFS, if I have a node on IPFS and I put a file on it, that's great. But if I take my node offline, my image comes with it. The only way that it actually lives on the network is if other nodes store that image as well. So technically speaking, it's possible that if there's NFTs that are being minted on IPFS, if the nodes that they're stored on go offline and they haven't, and they're, maybe they're not popular NFTs, like people don't view them often, they're not being like asked to look at the image often, those images will disappear. And then people are gonna be like, where the heck is my artwork? What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought this was permanent, but it's really not. So Arweave is definitely, I think, a really cool solution uh, for the, just like the way that the chain is structured to incentivize the storage of files, at least yeah. in theory, in perpetuity. Damn, man. Seems like your knowledge of, of crypto is like pretty deep at this point. Have you been just like studying a shitload or just learning from Justin, I assume? I, I study like 24 hours a day. Yeah. I, I just, I, I go deep. I go deep. I just, from, you know, from a, from a computer science perspective and like, I'm a coding nerd that yeah. this world of crypto is like a playground. So I'm having a blast, you know, digging into all these holes and trying to figure out all these problems. I mean, it's, it's funny. Here's, I'll tell you a funny story. So when, when Justin first was getting into NFTs, all I really wanted to do was prove him wrong, right? I wanted to prove that this is not a thing and it was bad. And through that, I was like, okay, well, the only way for me to do that is if I, if I could like dig really deep into what's going on and figure it out. And unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, what happened is that the, the deeper I went, the more I realized like, dang, this is actually really, really awesome. 
and uh, really cool. Uh, so yeah, and you're also like a pretty talented music uh, magician as well, right? Yes, yeah, <laughs> I am. Yeah, I do that too. <laughs> so you get a lot of shit going on. You got any tricks? Can you like it's do busy. something right now? It's busy. We just do like. <laughs> yeah, look at, yeah, the cards on. Yeah. <laughs> look at that. I guess it's. Well, I'll, I'll say this: if, if anyone who's like listening to this wants to see a trick, I did put an NFT magic that. trick on the blockchain um, yeah. called Hardeen, which is you know it's fun. It's it, it's not meant to you know fool you forever. It's more of like a show your friends, see if you can trick them. Dude, the first time I saw it, I was confused as shit. I was like, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> I saw so, it like, uh, like four or five times and then I finally figured it out. But like, it definitely got me, dude. It's an old trick. It's It was created in like, I think 1905. Uh, old, old, old magic trick. And it's cool, right? Because as an NFT, you could be like, I, you. what's cool about magic as an NFT, which is a whole other topic we could talk about, is that you can really capture a moment in time on the blockchain. Like someone who sees this NFT and is fooled by it is like, will have a real in-person, like what just happened? Oh my God, this is amazing. And what it will do, at least that's how, in the real world in Magic, it works that way. Maybe it doesn't in the, in the metaverse, but all, they, all people want to do is show their friends. Like, look at this, like, look at this. Can you figure it out? Or and that's like a network effect that happens in normal magic, but it could totally happen with blockchain as well. Like, so for Matt is an example. So like, imagine someone buys this piece Hardeen and puts it up in an NFT gallery. All of a sudden, when someone looks at that art, they're going to see and experience something that is not just like a static image. It's going to be an experience on a wall, which I think is a really cool application. Unfortunately, you know, it is really hard to put magic tricks on the blockchain because you have the, the, the trick needs to be designed in such a way that it can live and breathe on its own. I'm sure you'll figure it out, dude. <laughs> seems like you're going, it seems like you're on the way to it. I, I, I have a couple other ideas that I'll, I hope to get to in the future. Um, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. It just seems like a perfect concoction of just like endless doors that you can open or you can at least like, like go down. You say you're, you're like, you're deep diving 24 seven. Like that's believable. Um, I was going to say, uh, I was, right before we were on here, I was like, how the fuck do you do that trick? And I was looking at it like, Oh shit. G monk did the graphics for this. That's pretty cool. Oh, Justin, <laughs> Justin did the, uh, <laughs> the music board. that's pretty cool. Um, uh, so when, when you kind of like got entrenched was magic, I get, it like feels weird asking, but like, was that like something that immediately was like, I can incorporate this into what I'm doing with NFTs? And was that like kind of seamless for you in, in your brain? So actually, yeah, magic was my first NFT idea ever. It was, did, did, I think people have done this already before me, but um, doing a deck of cards as an NFT collection on the blockchain. Um, so it's funny. So from the magic world, what's cool is there is a trend over the past, let's just call it, you know, 10, 15 years of magicians expanding their toolkit from instead of just using a deck of cards, they're using an iPhone or they're using an iPad or some digital or like a social media platform as a part of a trick. So magicians are constantly in this race against technological development to try and stay ahead, stay ahead of the curve, but also to create tricks that fit with you know modern culture, right? So if I go do a trick that involves your Instagram account, to a kid, they're going to find that a lot more impressive than a card trick. 
because to them, they know Instagram because they're on it 24 seven, right? So magicians have been adopting to technology. So immediately when I think about blockchain and NFTs, the first place that my mind goes is magic because I think right now, like I actually do have some tricks that have to do with the blockchain. And if you ever see me live, I'll be happy to show them to you. They're not NFTs. They're just like more like live magic tricks. But what's cool about it is that at some point, assuming that this whole universe actually becomes like what the world is built off of, then it's just going to be yet another platform to create illusions with. So for me, I see it as an opportunity for a magician, at least, to take advantage of this new platform and actually do some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, like, I guess it's hard to share my excitement with about it, but like, I guess a good example would be like, like, could you imagine if I said to you, hey, you know, take this deck of cards, shuffle it up, like remove a bunch of cards from the middle, mix it up, mix it up, mix it up, whatever you want, and just, you know, spread them face up on the table. So now you have this random sequence of numbers, letters, and digits on the table that you just shuffle from, from a deck of cards. And then I say to you, you know, what's your, uh, what's your wallet address? And then you look at it and you're like, no way. And all of a sudden, all these cards represent your wallet address. Like to me, I think that's like, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it's, again, it's hard to share. Like, let me show that to you live. And then I think you're going to get it a lot more than me just verbally. Oh explaining. shit. That's an actual, you actually could do that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. Um, I mean, like there isn't any magicians doing NFTs yet. And I feel like you're kind of like the perfect combination. Like, Number one, you're a magician. And number two, like you probably understand the blockchain and NFTs more than any magician out there. So it's like, for some reason, I feel like you're going to come up with some crazy trick at some point. Just fucking blow people away. We'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will. That, that's just inevitable. I think I it know, that's I'll, stay quiet. I'll stay quiet on purpose. Yeah. I, don't, I don't reveal. I don't reveal too much. <laughs> Was, um. Now, this goes back to, I think, your first drop where you did the drawings, right? And this might just be a quick answer, but for the addition numbers, was, was there anything behind the um, 44, 33, 21, or were those just random? Great question. So there was something behind them. Um, so everything, what I strive with with my drop. So like, actually, I think it would be helpful to kind of like take a step back and explain what XOR yes. is. For anyone who doesn't know, like, what is the name XOR? Because it's not random. Um, so from, from in computer science, and this is why it's going to, it'll lead into it. It'll make sense. So in computer science, at a very basic level of how computers work, is it's a bunch of ones and zeros, you know, traveling across circuits, right? And there are these things called logic gates. And a few of them are things like, and is a logic gate, this and that, or is a logic gate, this or that. And XOR is also a logic gate. But the thing about XOR that's different from AND or, or any of these other logic gates for a computer is that the, the output of XOR, like it's a function, okay? And the output that it just, you know, when you put in a one and a zero, what it, what it returns to you has a 50% probability of being a one and a 50% probability of being a zero. Now, why is that so important? And why am I telling you that? Well, because it's completely fair, if that makes sense. It's not like there's a 75% chance of it being a one and a 25% chance of it being a zero. So when you're coming up with cryptography and you're coming up with ciphers or anything that has to do with random numbers and basically, I mean, all of crypto is cryptography at the base layer, right? Using this thing called XOR when creating these systems is like critical. 
so that people can't actually hack you and steal your stuff. So if you actually went and looked at the core code of Ethereum and all the cryptography behind it, you will see that this XOR operation, this mathematical operation happens often. So it's very crypto native. So the reason why I say, tell you this is because it's to show you that every single component of the art that I do has a purpose. It's not arbitrary. There's a reason why it's there. So XOR has to do with cryptography. So that's why it's my name. So going now back to the addition numbers, even the addition numbers and the prices themselves for across all my drops have a meeting, have a meeting. So in this situation, I think it was, so 44 was simply as like, it was a fork. I think that was the, the, the fork that it was 44 edition. So four, four fork, you know, that was <laughs> simple. Um, two, 21 editions was for the one that said NFT. And that's because it's seven, two, one. So 21, I think, that, I don't remember what the other ones were. I'm, I'm, I'm just blanking on it. Um, I think like the, the burn was 33. Yep. And that one, yes, okay, so that one was 33 editions. And that one was actually, it's funny, I said everything matters. That one was, it wasn't that it was arbitrary. It was that, so 6-6, six, six, wait, no, was it, maybe it was 6-6 six, six, six editions. I'm, I'm blanking. I, I'm, I'm totally now. blanking. Maybe you guys can tell me. I'm blanking. Um, no. <laughs> you're going to know better than me. This is embarrassing. <laughs> Dude, sure yeah, there's I, a meaning behind it. I just forget it. All the time. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. It was something with three, three, and six, six, and that's just simply because the devil burning six, 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 yep. six, and then yeah. three, three is half of that. So that 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 actually is probably the one that's the least meaningful. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, so I'm I'm going back on what I just said. Dalfork was one ninety two. Burn was six, six, six. Right. Oh, this right. is a so six, six, six. Oh no, this is the we're we're on the right drop, right? Seven twenty one. 666 and 192. Yeah, so 192 was because, so that was for the fork, right? So yep. that's the, the Dow fork in the blockchain was at was at block um, 192,000 or it was, I, maybe it was uh, 100, gotcha. something like that. But the, the first three digits of it was 192. So that's where that came from. So yeah, every, every uh, piece of it has a meaning. I think on this last drop that I did, the prices were consistently 559 which had to do it with 1559, which was a huge theme of the whole drop and the burn, which maybe we could talk about later. Um, so yeah, I try and, and as much, as best as I can, I'm like, I'm price agnostic. I care more about the story about what the price means than like of what act, the actual price is. So sometimes people think like, oh, this one's more expensive because it's rare, maybe, but it's also might just be because like for the, I think for the NFT, the price was $721. For ERC seven two one, I mean that's why it was seven hundred twenty one dollars. Yeah. No other reason. <laughs> In the three, the, the thirty three, the burn was six six six. So yeah, yeah, that right. makes sense. Um, I was gonna say I, I remember this so well because you had so many drawing entries. Like there was like ten oh, thousand yeah, people that, that entered um, for uh, for the fork for the uh, Dow fork and. And I was like, holy shit! I, like this might be the model because it was like people were just starting to kind of you know run different yeah, you, you had like ten thousand. was it like ten thousand entries or something yeah i think so yeah Dalfour something had, like that yeah yeah it was a lot of entries <laughs> i was very surprised i was very surprised and that was your first drop too yeah yeah that was sick yeah man you crushed it 
thank you. Yeah, I, I was so shocked. I, I, I did not expect that to happen. I was, I was like so touched um, about it. Uh, yeah, well, that, that, that like allows you to take the time to uh, keep developing. And I mean, Slime, you obviously know this. It's like if you're a creator, you, you like those assets and, and, and things behind you are, you know, invaluable. Um, exactly. You take the time. Do you want to walk through your uh, most recent drop? Because like I, I'll tell you a funny story. I I didn't. I flipped onto the website while your OEs were live, and I was like, and in, in me and Tyler here, he's we have like a running uh, just joke on gas because I got, I didn't believe gas was a real thing when I first learned about crypto, <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? There's no such thing as gas. So <laughs> I was I bought gas in the last like minute it was available. Um, just being, all right, yeah, like this. I like this. This this makes sense. But um, you want to walk through kind of, I guess, any uh, any mechanics behind that? I you did have me listen to that podcast. Uh, I I followed your instructions and I'm, I'm like halfway through. But you want to dive deeper into? Uh, yeah, totally for sure. So my last drop, there was two components. So all the drawings, and then there was also a ranked auction. Was all about different consensus algorithms in different blockchains. So one of them was proof of work, which is how Ethereum is right now. There is proof of stake, which was what Ethereum 2 will be. There is a proof of history, which isn't necessarily a consensus algorithm, but it's a form of consensus around time built on Solana. The web was the succinct proofs of random access or Spora is what people called it. That actually was Arweave. So Arweave, because it's built on this structure called a block weave. So weave web, you know, there's a relation. So essentially all the drops had to do with consensus. Then as a final, you know, open edition, I am so fascinated with EIP 1559 and gas for some reason, as just like me, I think it's the coolest mechanism ever because, okay. So like, what is gas? Like where the heck do these gas costs come from? And it's actually quite simple and elegant of an explanation, which is anytime you do a smart contract, every unit of gas you pay maps to some sort of computation on the network. Okay, so if you were to take a smart contract and let's say you were to like mint an NFT, minting an NFT takes a couple of steps. Okay, it takes a step of saying, well, who is the person, you know, doing this? Who's trying to mint? Is there a price to mint? Did they pay the right price? If they satisfy all those requirements, then we should give them this NFT, yada, 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 right? So there's a lot of these steps and gas is computed based on each of those steps. So you're basically paying for each step and that gets super fundamental. And this is really important because a lot of people complain about gas and I have to you know, give my hat off to Solidity developers out there who are building crazy protocols because what they're doing at the end of the day is they're optimizing for gas. They, they want you as a user to use their contracts and not have to pay you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars of gas. And that has to do with the code, completely has to do with the code. Sure, there's a gas price, but at the end of the day, it's that gas price multiplied by some gas limit or how many units of gas you're paying. And that, that gas quantity is determined by the complexity of the code you're running. And from a fun perspective, you know, when you're just transferring someone money, that's not really a contract, but that always costs 21,000 gas. The reason is because that 21,000 gas is still going to the computation 
of the cryptography that miners are using to verify that, hey, yeah, you actually do have this money to spend and it is really you trying to spend it. So gas is literally, you're paying for computation on the network, which is really cool from a computer science perspective because you're paying for every step of computation. It forces you to optimize as a coder. So that's one of the reasons why I like it. But with EIP 1559, what you have that's so cool is before all this, gas, and I think they talk about this in the, in, the, in the podcast, is gas is a user input, okay? It's a bidding war. It's you get to specify how much gas you want to pay, and based on that, you'll get included into a block, maybe, maybe not. But now with the IP59, this key element of it is now this base gas cost has nothing to do with you. It has to do with network demand. It's computed by the blockchain. It's not influenced by what you decide to input into MetaMask as your, as your preferred gas price. And that opens up a whole host of world for a lot of different things. But one of the cool parts about it, and you can you know, listen to that podcast for the better economics, I'm not gonna bore you with that right now, is that this gas that you're paying now today is burned, okay? Which is why a lot of people are coming up with this whole theory of ultrasound money. Because every time you do a transaction, a piece of that fee is getting burned and destroyed. A piece of that Ethereum is getting burned. And the idea is if there's a block where the block reward that miners are mining is more than the gas that's burned, ETH is still inflationary. Okay. However, if the gas that is burned in that block is more than what's mined or the ETH that's created, all of a sudden ETH becomes deflationary. So you can imagine a situation where network demand is so high, a lot of people are using the network, and all of a sudden, like with these NFT drops, you actually see it. If you, if you go on MetaMask and you look for like ridiculously high blocks with gas prices, you could find examples of blocks where like hundreds of ETH were burned, but maybe only like 20 ETH were mined or something like that. That usually happens in blocks where there are these NFT drops, like the profile picture drops, because you have a lot of people, you know, pumping demand into the system to get these NFTs. And it, and it proves itself. The more demand happens, the more gas is burned. And it's the super cool idea. It's the ultrasound money meme. It's going to, it's going to, I believe it's going to have a really important impact on how Ethereum develops into the future. So that's basically what EIP 1559 is. You have these deterministic gas prices based off of demand, which are burned. And if they're burned more than what's mined, you get ETH as a deflationary asset. So it's a super cool economic idea. So what I thought to do with gas, the NFT, going all the way back to that, sorry, I had to go on this tangent to like give some background, it. was, you know, let's create this NFT, which first of all, all the code inside of the gas NFT is a mapping between the super low level byte code of a smart contract to how much it actually costs in gas units. So for example, when you store something on the blockchain, and by the way, that includes minting an NFT. Minting an NFT is just saying, this address owns this NFT that's storing data on the blockchain that costs at least, you know, 20,000 units of gas. So those mappings from a super low, low, low level perspective are what's embedded in the artwork. But now we get to play this fun game, which is, okay, I'm going to mint all this gas. I think like around 2,300 editions were, were minted in the open edition, but just like in EIP 59, 1559, you know, gas must be burned. So what we're going to do now, and this is what's happening, it hasn't happened yet, is we're going to have these burn events where people are going to burn gas and receive some other NFT. Now, of course, burns have been done before. I know my brother did it, was one of the first people to do it. Actually, I think he pretty much created the, 
the, the concept. And but the cool thing about this is it's actually a simulation of EIP 1559 through NFTs, which is a cool and a really fun narrative. And what I found is people who had no idea what EIP 1559 is, all of a sudden, because of this little game that we're playing, they're like, oh, I know what this is. Now, this is so fun. I get it. It makes sense. We have this gas. We're going to burn it. And it's going to create ultrasound money, which is sort of like a tip as to what the, you know, the first burn piece is going to be. But that's my tangent. There you Damn, go. <laughs> Seriously. I feel like I, like I get so many questions embedded in there. Um, I know, right? But like I finally was able to like conceptualize to like, oh, that's how people learn, like lose money spending gas to make a transaction that they don't complete because they're just there are people that are paying more to get that spot on the block that they will in turn still have to pay for the validation that they have the money, but then they won't be spending the money because they don't end up getting the asset because they don't end up on the block. So exactly like, like this so was been something that's actually conceptualized in my brain like over the last 12 hours slowly listening to, <laughs> to your podcast well, suggestions. Well, to touch on that a little bit more a cool way to think about it is like gas in a car so if if you're trying to travel you know let's just say a mile and i, I by the way i'm about to give, spit out some numbers they probably have no meaning but you'll get the idea <laughs> let's say let's say it takes one gallon of gas to travel one mile okay if you put two gallons of gas in your car, you're gonna travel that mile. No problem, right? However, if you only put half a gallon of gas, you're not gonna make the mile, your car will break down and you're gonna be upset because you would have basically wasted money on half a gallon of gas that got you nowhere, okay? And it's the same idea with a transaction. When you're paying for gas, okay, at least in terms of the, the unit of gas, these transactions consume gas. If, if you pay enough units of gas to get yourself through, anything extra is actually refunded to you, okay? So if it, if it costs, let's say, 100,000 units of gas to make to do a transaction, if you send 200,000, they're going to give you back 100,000 because it was not needed. But if you only spend 50,000 on something that actually requires 100,000, not only will you fail, the transaction fail, but you will pay for wasting a miner's time, essentially, you know? So that's from that perspective. Now on a different note, I think what you are referring to is these gas wars, right? These people yeah. who are basically bidding to get into a block. And with these NFT drops, it's a problem. With Uniswap, it's a problem. With arbitrage, this is, this is the minor extractable value that everyone talks about, or at least all this front running of this idea that, okay, if I bid higher than you, I'll have a higher priority than you and I'll, I'll win. So that's these gas wars. Uh, that is a, a fun concept. <laughs> Actually, I'll add in real quick. Something that I did after the drop was I knew about these gas wars happening. So as like a, as a last minute activity, I said, you know what? Everyone's loving this gas idea with the burn. Let's do a gas war. So in the next 24 hours, whoever owns the most units of gas in terms of the NFT, um, the top 10, or it, it turned out to be 11 because there was a tie. The top 11 people are going to get a gas mask, which is which, like this cool NFT. So uh, that, that's what I did to sort of basically what I was trying to do is like take this gas idea that I love, that I find to be so interesting as this economic primitive of the blockchain and simulate all of its, you know, components through an NFT drop, which I think I did. And it was really fun. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. <laughs>
So I know you like have, or you have a job lined up, right? But are, are you now like rethinking now that you're like entering the NFT space or are you going to continue, you know, doing what you were planning on doing before? Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm still going to be, you know, have a traditional job. Um, I'm, I'm always going to, you know, be doing NFTs on the side because it's really fun. And I, and I, I basically I'm keeping up with this space 24 hours a day because it is a part of my job yeah. and, and I, and I love, and I love that about it. So yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I was just curious if you were going to do, you know, pull a similar move to your brother and be like, I'm going to be a DJ and then go off and do it, you know? Like, I'm going to. Well, I guess you never know what happens in the future. Exactly, dude. You never know. <laughs> Lay the seeds, at least. Sorry for my late entrance, Mike. It's nice to meet you, man. <laughs> you too. Work caught up with me tonight. I had to, uh, couldn't get out of it. So shout out to Tristan for setting it all up, though. Appreciate the, the outreach. Yeah. Yeah, Tristan's really active in my in my Discord as well. So uh very very appreciative of the connection. Dude, I was gonna say we can just walk through what we just talked about the last 45 minutes to Tyler, but he's gonna be doing the editing. So he'll he'll <laughs> I think I'll hear it. He'll, he'll know the deal. Yeah, did you guys already talk about um the face melt piece that you made? Briefly. We we, briefly. we did briefly. Yeah. 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 I do remember I, those being delayed and Justin just being like, please. Take it easy. My my brother is graduating from school and passing in his finals, and then he'll have it done. <laughs> That's it's literally what happened. Was I took my final exam, like my last final ever, and then the second half of that day was uh, distributing the NFT to all the people who burned. <laughs> wow, it was a sick idea. Not a lot of people have done like. Um outside of nifty gateway projects that kind of tie in with something that happened in nifty gateway so i thought that was really inventive yeah thank you i think i think that's going to have to happen at some point you know because something that is that, that's it, what's cool about nifty gateway is that it actually makes it really easy for people who are new to this space to onboard because they don't have to worry about you know paying gas when they want to transfer they can use a credit card things like that um but for when it comes to you know trying to connect things off chain sometimes it makes it challenging because when you hold an NFT and nifty, according to the chain, you don't actually own it. The, the nifty contract owns it. So it's kind of hard to like do airdrops and stuff off chain because you actually don't know who actually owns it. You, you know, yeah. the nifty owns it, but they know on their platform, but on chain, it's, it, it, it's a, it's a challenge. So what we were just talking about earlier before we hopped on was we just bought ledgers I'm thinking about putting all my stuff on there, but for the collector's drops, they require it to be in your profile. And here we are paying gas to move them back and forth from cold storage back onto the platform just to get the drop. So, yeah, it does. It definitely makes it challenging, but I guess, you know, the way to look at it is if if there's a piece that you love and you you, you plan to, you know, hold or coddle for a long time, then, then yeah, move it off and, and uh, it's safer, or I guess it's not really safer. It's just another way of storing it that, you know, but I think that's definitely a good a good move. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have touched on your name or not, right? For Zor, we did. You can listen. To yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll yeah, listen to did. that. Yeah, we Xor, did. Xor, Xor. <laughs> I just wanted to call him Zor. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I, did you see how I, I came in with Mike? Yep. Yeah. You got, you got any other questions, Tyler? Keep pumping. Yeah. So I actually love that you have a programming background and like the intersection of art and technology because of, you know, the space being built on the blockchain like this, it's cool to see the technology side of the art. So like the ASCII stuff that you do is amazing. Were you aware of like the ASCII punks at all? I, I was, 
um, briefly. I think I, I think I was, I, may, I was actually made aware of it. I don't remember the timeline. I think it was between when I started making the art and my first drop. So it was like right in between that. But I did see ASCII punks, uh, and I didn't think they were cool. I didn't get one though, unfortunately. Yeah, I just I thought that concept was cool that they're actually like on the blockchain, you know? Right. So I feel the same way about your art. I think that's sick. Yeah, I, I, I we mentioned this earlier, but I'll, I'll say it again: is that ASCII art is a very I wouldn't say easy, but it makes it, it makes it easier to create ASCII art on chain. Because at the end of the day, it's just text. You know, it's not actually colors or anything. So that makes it very easy to store that text on chain in the smart contract itself, which is really cool and totally defeats the I can copy and paste argument because you can't. Right. <laughs> if it's in the contract, you're out of luck, man. <laughs> Dude, you should be the one. You need to be like the, um, uh, just like some sort of twitter hero where anyone that says that you just got to jump in and, and, and hit them with some hard facts no this is this is not yours and this is why <laughs> oh the, the answer i always give to people who are maybe not crypto native who throw that argument on me is like okay sure but you're on you're not going to be able to sell it and the, I, I just use crypto punks i just use crypto punks as the example like if you want to copy base a crypto punk you know that's great you know make your profile picture do whatever you want but you're not going to be able to sell it for a lot of money. You're just not going to be able to, you know? It's the best argument out there. (laughs) Are you uh, coding at all in Solidity? I am. Yes. Yeah. I I do. I do code quite a bit in Solidity. That's actually, so on my last drop, there was also a puzzle component scavenger hunt E type thing. And it was a complete, it was a Solidity puzzle. So what I did is I I took, I, I I deployed a contract, which, essentially I deployed it on the, on a test network. So anyone who wanted to try it didn't need to like, cause you know, sometimes when these puzzles, you want to try a lot of times, I thought it would be really unfair if I did it on mainnet and people had to like pay gas every time they wanted to try something right. that doesn't make it fun, you know? So I put it on test net so that anyone could for free, just, you know, try things as much as they wanted to. And essentially what the contracts did was there, they were like four puzzles each had to do with each drawing from my drop. And there was one winner. The first person to guess the correct answer to each puzzle was locked into the contract. And then they received the N out of N edition of the piece. So I think it was like the 20th out of 20th edition of the piece or something like that. And what's cool is that actually your address and your wallet is the same on mainnet as it is on a test network mm. if you're using MetaMask. So it actually makes it very easy for me to track you it, and, and get your address for free without you having to pay any gas. And then later on, after the fact, I could send you the NFT on mainnet, just like, just because I know it's the same. Yep. So, so that's what I did. And that, those were smart contracts written in Solidity, which were really fun puzzles. I do encourage people to try them. Although they, they were solved pretty quickly, but they, they were definitely fun. Are there any other languages that people are using for the smart contracts or is it all Solidity based? I think the standard is Solidity. There's another one called Viper, which is very Pythonic. Uh, it looks very much like the Python language, but generally the standard is Solidity. Solidity, sorry. Is that just on Ether? Like- so yeah. So on Ethereum, it's Solidity is I would say like the you know industry standard. However, on different chains, it's different. So on Near, on the Near blockchain, or on Solana, the language is Rust. 
is, is the primary language for writing smart contracts. Rust and Solidity are kind of like the two ones and, and there may, might be, you know, or I, I would assume there, there would be, you know, things in the future that allow you to uh, like use Solidity on other blockchains as well. Yeah. Um, just because it's, it's just a popular language and so much of, I mean, all of Ethereum is essentially Solidity, like every single contract. If you go on Etherscan and it's a contract, and it's verified and you go to like code and you see all that code, that's all solidity. That's Usually. just like kind of blew my mind because every time I was like, when Manifold was doing my contract, I was getting all these like dot soul things. It's like, what the fuck is a dot soul? <laughs> like they keep sending me <laughs> dot souls. I'm like, what the fuck is that shit? And that's what it is. It's exactly what it yep. is. <laughs> solidity files. Do you know what they what use on Tezos? You know, I don't. I'm not. I'm not aware what what language they. I want to look so into I, that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'd be curious to know if you let me know. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I haven't played with it. I, I actually think you might have just found an intern right here too. So <laughs> no, I can't code. <laughs> Believe me, I. Well, you know, though, this is actually really important. I, I think people who are you know making, you know, doing a lot of things with NFTs and are very involved in a, in a space that's basically in code we trust right this is all code i think it's definitely important that you don't have to be a coder you don't have to know how to write it but at least be able to like you know look at something and be like okay i, I maybe i know a little what's going on or whatnot i, I mean the, the fact is is that's how a lot of these protocols get hacked right because people don't look at the code they don't audit it they don't care and all of a sudden uh-oh there's a bug and now all your money's gone so in a world built on code, it's definitely good. It, it's definitely a good education to to understand a little bit more, like what's going on under the hood for a safety perspective. And that's that's what I try and you know I, I wouldn't say teach, but share with my Discord is that element of hey, you don't have to be a coder to read ERC seven two one. The language is pretty readable. Uh, you just have to. It, it, it reads like English. At the end of the day. Yeah, not quite <laughs> English. <laughs> well, so, 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 so I'll, give, I'll give you an example. Let me get, let me, let me clarify. So like you could probably infer if there, if you go look at like the ERC 721 standard code and you look at anything, like you'll see like this word function everywhere that like is every time you see the word function, that is basically some little snippet of code, a few lines of code that performs a very specific action such as mint, right? So and it actually says that. So if you go in the contract and you like just scan through the code, it will say function mint. And then it will say to, from, and then a token ID number. And it's like, okay, I'm minting a contract from this address to this address. And it's going to give it this token ID. And then the function that actually performs transfers, like when you're sending people NFTs is literally called transfer. So that, that's what I mean, what, what <laughs> I mean by English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like so like you might not understand like what all the code inside those functions are doing. That's okay. But at least like just seeing, oh, this is where the transfer happens. It says transfer. That that's what I yeah. mean. You know, I know I also, like, by the way, I'm always on like Etherscan and shit and like trying to figure out what the fuck's going on, but I never do. It's like there's just so much shit there. You're just like all these numbers and stuff, like just way over my head. Ashes and shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone should be a smart contract developer. It'll happen. Oh, I have man. a question though for you. What does IPFS stand for? Interplanetary file system. Oh yeah. That actually now <laughs> that's a big sticking point for a lot of people in the NFT world, right? Because they're saying 
it's not actually on the blockchain. It's referencing a point somewhere on the server, right, where the image is actually held. Is there any drawback from doing that versus, you know, having something actually on the blockchain? And like, is it just too expensive to store it on Ethereum like that? I guess I'll give you my whole spiel on my answer to this. Yes. It is too expensive. It's It would be almost ridiculous to store right. like a video or an image on the blockchain. You could store these things called SVGs, which essentially allow to like art almost to be generated on command. That's what Loot did. That's what Pac has done in the past. Few people have done it. It's like, it's a newer trend, which is allowing people to store images, simple images on chain. But for the most part, most of the stuff does need to be stored off chain. So the question is where? Well, if I have a server on Amazon Web Services and I store your image there, that's great. But if I turn my server off, your art disappears. So you can't use that. Now, IPFS is a decentralized storage system. So that's why a lot of people use it is because in theory, if you put something on IPFS, it's going to be there in theory forever. Hence this like interplanetary file system name of like, this is going to be a file system that spans planets. Like that's actually, I think if you watch the video of IPFS, that's what um, the, the creator actually uses as the example. <laughs> which is a, it's a, it's a big claim, but you get the idea is, is it's, it's a way to store files that is a little bit more permanent. So if you upload something to IPFS, what's going to happen is that image is going to be put in a blend, a blender, and you're going to get this hash, which is like a bunch of letters and numbers that hash is directly mapped to that image. So if I say, you know, have an NFT point to that hash, I cannot change that image. If I do, the hash will change. And that's why you use IPFS. So it, it's almost like this sort of protection saying, I'm going to point to it off chain, but using this hashing mechanism on IPFS, you get both this idea of permanence into the future. So like you can't just turn IPFS off. And two, you get this sort of cryptographic validation that this image is actually the image that it's supposed to be. And I can't go and change it later. Because once you store a hash on the blockchain, that hash is there. Like you're not changing that. That's that's there forever. So as long as the image is there, those two things are going to map. So that's it's kind of a it might be a little complicated answer. I mean, does that sort of make sense a little bit? It it does to me. Like it just it opened my mind up just now because I always thought that I didn't know that IPFS was as permanent as you made it seem. And then I also didn't know about the hashing where it's actually blended up you get a specific hash that returns that exact image. So it can't be modified, obviously, because it has to match. That's wild. I do want to, I do want to add in a caveat. So I did make it seem more permanent than it is. Okay. So let me actually, let, let, let me actually go back for a sec. So the hashing thing is super important. And I think you've got that, like, that's why people use it. But IPFS is not permanent. And the reason why is because when you have a decentralized network storing files, if I have my computer as a node on the network, just think of it as another computer, and I want to store your image on it, what's going to happen is this. From a, from a super high level, let's say there are a thousand computers that are storing all the files on IPFS. When you go out and say to the internet, hey, you know, I want to, get, I want to see what this file is on IPFS, what's going to happen is they're going to go around to all these nodes, and they're going to ask, do you have this file? 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 When they get to me, I'm going to say yes. And then it's going to display it on, in your web browser and you get to see it. Okay. Now, what you hope happens is that a lot of people say, 
I'm going to copy that image onto my server. So imagine, you know, here are the four of us talking. I have an image. If you all copy the same image onto your computers, then now a lot of people storing it. So if I turn off my computer, you guys still have it. But if you don't do that, and I turn my computer off that is storing your file, your file is as good as gone. It's not on the IPFS network. So now you actually have this issue with these NFTs, which is, yeah, it's permanent in theory. However, there could be a situation where if not enough nodes on the network are storing your file and the main person who is turns off, your art's gone. So here's my opinion about that. One is Arweave, which has an interesting solution because you're paying upfront to put something on the network. So you're incentivizing people to store it, whereas on IPFS, it's free. Now, a lot of people talk about this idea of dynamic metadata and how it's bad and people want to freeze it. They don't want artists, you know, messing with the image that it points to. And I get that. I think that's a really valid point. But let me present to you a disaster scenario and tell me what you think. So imagine for a second that you have this punk. Your ownership is on the blockchain. That's not going anywhere. We know for a fact that you or 0x928 yada, yada, yada owns punk number one. We know that. That is on the blockchain forever. That's not going anywhere. The NFT is just pointing to say the actual image of this punk is over there. Let's just say it's on IP at best. It's actually not how punks work, but I'm just using punks as an example. So do not don't take this literally. Punks is structured a little bit differently, but just take it as an example. Now, all of a sudden, you can't change that pointer, right? You can't change that hash, like I told you, but IPFS shuts down. It's gone. Well, your image is gone. And now, sure, your ownership is on the blockchain, but the actual art you bought is gone. I would believe, if, if I, as an artist, as some, or as someone who bought that, I would be pretty upset. Okay, I, I, I think a lot of people interacting with this stuff, they're doing it from a visual perspective, not from like a technical ownership on the blockchain perspective, even though that is what it is. So as an artist, as almost like a way for me to protect myself, like I am well aware as a programmer that the internet changes and things and files will disappear and websites will crash and servers will not be there in a year from now. So I want the ability as an artist, in my opinion, to say, you know what, if people, you know, bought my artwork and they believe in me, and for some reason, IPFS goes down, I want actually the ability to put it back up and, and say, okay, it, it's the same piece. Like, here it is. You, you still own it, you know. Now, of course, that's relying on me being an honest artist to, you know, change. if I were to change where it points to, I'm still pointing to the same image. Maybe it's just located in a different place. But I feel like that's kind of important. I don't know about you guys, but if I spend a lot of money on NFT collection and I wake up tomorrow and all those images are gone, I would be furious. <laughs> and unfortunately, in the current state, there's nothing you can do about that. So that's why when a lot of people are complaining about this idea of dynamic metadata or the ability for artists to change things, it's important. But there's another side of it, which is you do want that protection in there. At least I think people would. I don't know about you. I would. Pro-choice. <laughs> I think, I think that, I mean, I'll take it a step further that I invest in the artists that I like. And if they want to change the image, if they wanted to change the image slightly or, you know, do something crazy with it, like, I don't know, like the way the rugs, rugs.wtf or whatever would change the image constantly on what the NFT was. That's fine with me. Like, 
if I'm investing in an artist and I believe in them, I don't think they're going to do anything shitty with it. So I would imagine whatever the image is, as long as it's like, yeah, I mean, it's within the realm. Yeah. I mean, that's what we did for the last slime Sunday drop is like, there's two images that get updated on the back end where like the, the image is changing, you know, over time. And on, right. on one of them, I have actual like manual control and can like change the image myself, which yeah, super interesting. But that's on our weave and Manifold wrote the contract for that. So still like no knowledge of how that shit works. I just know which buttons to press and how to do it. That's <laughs> yeah, all that matters. <laughs> when you said our weave, I was like, oh shit, I've heard of that because Artifacts Project uses that as well. Yeah. So I think they were big on like making sure they were sustainable for a long time. Yeah. Listen, at the end of the day, it's, it's more like to think this is such a new space there really isn't a standard. I mean, sure, there's an ERC-7-2 standard for how NFTs should function on the blockchain. But in terms of how you store these things, there's no standard. And I think people are still trying to figure it out. And yeah, for sure. But you also, like what you just said for you, Slam Sunday, the fact that you get to change it, all of a sudden, you actually have this really cool NFT that yeah, exactly. if you, like you, Super cool. that wouldn't exist if you were too strict, you know? Yeah, I think NFTs just happened like so quickly that the tech is like trying to catch up with all the hype that just happened. You know what I mean? Like just the, the massive influx of people and, and all the hype around the space. It's like, I don't think anybody was really prepared for it. Yep. Yeah. But then there's people, but then there's like necessary people like you that will understand both sides. Right. And like, this is the most education I've had on any backend technology seriously <laughs> since I've started. Done this? Yeah. Yeah, sorry if i'm speaking too high level Dude, please no know, like no it's it's because like, i don't mean to do that all of the people we interview are just as dumb as me when it comes to this shit like we're just like dumb artists that don't know what the fuck's going on just like <laughs> making art and shit do you think there's any difference between the contracts written for say like a 2018 x copy versus like what he's releasing now of like people changed i know there's been a standard shift right yeah so i'm not so i i I'm not like so familiar on the date that like ERC 721 was accepted as a standard. I think the difference really is, so let me, so here's why you want ERC 721. It's actually a really good reason. So you have all these websites that are trying to create this interoperability and you want, you want OpenSea, super rare foundation, nifty gateway, NFT wallets. You want every single thing to host your NFT, right? If you're an artist and your artist is on the blockchain, that means that every single NFT platform should be able to understand it, read it, see who owns it, et cetera. So what the ERC721 standard does is it defines a set of functions like we talked about before that are standard. So for example, in every single NFT that conforms to ERC721, there is a function that's called token URI and it takes as input some number or an, an NFT ID, one could be one, two, three, so on. And in, re in, in return, if you, if you like execute the code of this function, it's going to return to you the metadata of the NFT, which would contain the name, the artist, where the art is located off chain, if it's an IPFS or not, so on and so forth. That structure of there is a specific function, it takes this specific input, it's called token URI, and what it returns to you after it executes is a very well-defined structure of metadata. That's the standard. 
Because now when I'm on, when I want to build a website that's going to interact with NFTs, I'm not going to go read every NFT contract to see how you did it, to see, you know, how do I make my code fit every possible scenario? Because the standard, I know that every NFT is going to behave the same way. And that's that's the idea. It's that it's it's to allow the interoperability and the Lego nature of how smart contracts work in Ethereum to operate. So is it bad if an NFT doesn't conform to NF721? I, I think so, but I think it's also a new standard that didn't exist back when people were doing it before. So I wouldn't expect everything to conform to that. You know, that, that, that's my opinion. I think it's it's more of like a, for a usability and an interoperability reason than it is for like, oh, this is good or bad. What I will say though, as a caveat to all that, is most of the, the code of ERC721 that all NFTs use. Now, I, I say all with an asterisk because I don't know if this is totally true, but I, at least for the most part, they're using the ERC721 standard put out by Open Zeppelin, which is a security auditing contract firm for Ethereum. So basically, if you use that as a template, you kind of like have this really good assurance that it's secure. People aren't going to steal your stuff. It's going to behave exactly as it expects. There's going to be no surprises. So that's why you want the standard so that artists don't have to worry about, is my contract hackable? Like, can you imagine every time you want to do an NFT, you have to worry about that? No, you oh. don't want to worry about it. <laughs> like, so that's the long answer to why I think it, it really does matter. But of course, you can't look back and expect people before it was created, you know, to, to conform to it. Could always yeah. wrap it now, you know. Hmm. Do you have any other technical questions, Larry? Dude, no. Yeah. I, like this, honestly, though, is like it's graspable. Like before, it was like for me, it's just like I can't even put the time in to try to understand what's going on in the back end. But like getting like dumbed down, like directions and, and just being pointed to like who to listen to, like go listen to this. Like that is, I think it's super important for like everyone in our situation to know, right? Because it's you know you're buying you know, what, what you see as the image, but then it's, it's the under the hood that keeps it running. So no, man, I, I just think someone like you in this space or people like you are, are, are necessary. And, and I think you're kind of trailblazing a nice little path here. So keep doing Thank it. You. Man. Appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. Did you guys touch on any new it. stuff you got coming out? Sure. I guess he's cooking. Yeah. So, uh, so I do have some, so I know in my last drop, we did talk about the burn. So I still, there are going to be three burn events. Those are coming out. I'm working with, with Nifty Gateway on, you know, setting some of that stuff up. So hopefully that comes out in the next few weeks. I'll say, hopefully, you know, sometimes. Don't put a timeline on it. Nope. Nope. Don't put a timeline. I'm not going to put a timeline. It's working. The art is getting finished, but you know, I will tell you a fun little project that I did today uh, that I just kind of just tweeted about like for fun. I don't know if you saw it, but I just did for fun. So I think that, you know, art is awesome. We're all artists and we love to make art, but NFTs have a lot of other use cases outside the world of art. And one of those, as a fun example, is COVID vaccination cards. So I created a little contract and a little website. I tweeted about it. It's called uh, proofofvax.io. And it's a simple website. And all it lets you do is if, if you're interested, it's not required, you know, you just you can go and upload your an image of your vaccination card and it gives you a proof of Vax NFT in your wallet. So it's kind of fun. I don't know. I, in the past couple of months, I've been going around and every restaurant, they ask to see my card. So I'm like, you know what? 
let's just make this an NFT and uh, yeah, call it a genius. And no fucking brainer. I'm connecting my wallet right now. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I have it in my actual <laughs> physical wallet. Why not have it in my virtual wallet? My girlfriend's wallet. <laughs> So I'm gonna you know, do that right after that. That's actually fucking brilliant. Maxcard.io. Love it. The tweet's nice too. Here's something fine though. Uh, With the link. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of like put it out there to whoever's interested. It's kind of fun. And uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll do something more that in the future. You know, like I don't know, like, can you imagine? Like, obviously, in the real world, you go to go to a restaurant, they're like, show me your ID, show me your Max card. Like, imagine you go into Decentraland and you're trying to get into a club. You're like, yeah. ah, okay, well, also got to show your virtual, uh, like when you, you got to have a Max card in your wallet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> NFT NYC in order to like get into any of the events, you have to show your, your Vax card in your, in your MetaMask. <laughs> Why not? It's, Push it's it. fun. So if you're interested, you could do it. It was just like, you know, a side project for fun that I, that I actually, I'll, I'll tell you what, the reason why I did it more than anything was because I, one, I thought it would be fun. And two, I wanted to experiment with storing metadata on chain. So all of the metadata of the NFT is on chain. It's not like the image will be on IPFS, but the actual metadata components are on chain. And I wanted to experiment with that in the code. So this was a good excuse to, to do that. Yeah. So you got utility as in, uh, you got your Vax card in your pocket at all times. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's fucking cool, man. So funny too. <laughs> I mean, oh I think God. what I didn't realize before I did this was that I think a lot of people don't want to do it because they're anonymous in the crypto world. And if you put that your Vax card in your wallet, it's going to have your name. Yeah, true. So I could see why someone wouldn't want to do it. But <laughs> if you don't care about that, then go for it. So this goes I'll full circle to, to you actually don't care if people know what your name is because your Vax card is just sitting in your wallet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No. I, I, it's, I'm an open book. I'm an open book. The ability to stay anonymous. Well, and Nifty Gateway just says it. It's true. <laughs> yeah. That was good. It's you not know, a secret. I, I, yeah, I can't wait to listen to the first half of this interview. <laughs> yeah, just just tweet questions at them as 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 they come up while you're listening. Perfect. <laughs> well, dude, thanks for taking up some some of your time to to chat with us. And this has been like, the most educational, like, educational, progressive, useful conversation I think I've had. Oh man, um, thank you so much. That touched my heart. Thank you. This, this was such a blast. I had a great time. Dude, anything, anytime you find something you're passionate about and then like you can tell, and then what, if there's people that want to listen because they, they, they feel like a need to learn, you're going to have an audience. So, I mean, just by the way you talk and in, in, in the knowledge that you bring and lay it out, it's, it's pretty seamless. So keep it up. Man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Th- no thank problem. you guys so much for having me as well. Like this, this, this was a blast. I, I haven't done many podcasts I feel like I've been doing a few lately and, and this this was always one I wanted to be on and, and it, it was a pleasure. Real honor. Thank you. Hell yeah. Episode 30 okay. in the books. <laughs> Round number. Love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, we'll just put the title. We're at 30. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's wild. Sealand. Yeah, dude. I was talking to, to your brother earlier. I think we got, we're cooking up something next. We got something coming. So back to oh, SSX Blow. It's <laughs> always exciting. I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Teaser. Dude. Fuck. Are you gonna be are you gonna be in New York for, for NFT NYC? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there as well. Awesome. Well. Sick. Yeah, we'll definitely link up. Get my ticket. I think it's oh, dude. We're not like if it makes I don't have my ticket either. So I'll oh, just be we either, dude. No, I don't think anyone's going. <laughs> 
actually going to the event. I would just oh, say, okay, like, cool. Yeah, like, you just go to New York. I dude, I was like, fuck, dude, I didn't buy a ticket. Let's just go. Yeah, dude, yeah. dude, nobody's going oh, yeah, to <laughs> Dude, you could probably just walk in and be like, yeah, I don't have a ticket, but I, I'm Slim I'd, Sunday. <laughs> I'd like to speak. <laughs> okay, I, sure. I don't. Yeah, I, I looked at the speakers. Like, I, there's only, like, four or five that I know of. There's a lot of speakers. Yeah, there's, like, 400 or something crazy yeah it should be interesting it'll be good to like finally meet everybody in person we've all been like talking virtually for geez the past year all right well i gotta go finish looping that that series that like aired fucking decades ago good yeah but it was a pleasure man talking to you of course um yeah pleasure talking to you guys as well this is awesome thanks again dude thanks everybody right see ya bye Damn, that's nifty.